Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to the second chapter of the Epistle to the Philippians, reading from verse 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. And this is the reading so far of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. May he impress it on all of our hearts. Let us pray. Father, it is a great privilege to gather together here in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who is the head of the church. We pray that you would bless the ministry of your word to us today and that you'd be glorified in it. Bless us with a listening ear, with an open heart and with sight to see your perfect holiness. And teach us, Lord, how to do your will and to grow in the likeness of Jesus. I ask that through your word and spirit, you would bring freedom and joy and hope and peace to every person attending here today. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Well, I greet you all in the name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the wonderful head of the church. And uh, it is a great privilege, as always, to open up and and share God's word with you. Uh, uh, One thing that we all have in common, Christian or not, is that we are no stranger to the devastating effects of sin in this world. We have seen the effects of the fall in each of our own lives, from lying, violence, uh, disease, hopelessness, anger, Racism, broken families, addiction, depression, war, hatred, murder, theft, greed, sadness, and death, just to name a few. But in the light of that, we have the word of the Lord to us today, and I've entitled the sermon, Gospel Grace, How God Frees Us from Slavery to Sin. But before you can experience freedom from the power of sin in your own life. You need to experience freedom from the penalty of sin. See, Romans 3.23 says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of this sin is death. And maybe you're sitting here today and the Bible isn't your ultimate authority, so you don't really care what Romans 3.23 says. But even your own conscience has testified to you that you have violated your, the, the law that God has written on your heart. So nobody is, is, uh, is able to escape the condemnation that comes to us from this. Except, following this, gr- this horrendous news is the great news of Romans 5.17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so, because Jesus died on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sin, we can be saved from the penalty of that sin, which is death. And that's why we say, in the death of Christ was the death of death. Because Jesus Christ, death was conquered. And it gets... Even better, the gospel is not only the power for you to have the penalty of your sin removed, but
but it is also the power by which sin's dominion in your daily life is rooted out. And the gospel there, we can say, is the power for holiness. And if you would like true joy in your life, true riches, true peace, then a great promise of living in holiness comes to you in 1 Timothy 6.6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And so if you're a Christian, this will uh, show you that since God has freed you from the penalty of sin, he is also going to free you from the power of sin in your daily life. And if you are not a Christian, this message will show you how you can receive God's grace and experience not just uh, freedom from the penalty of sin, but from the power of it in your life too. So Paul's epistle to the Philippians is a wonderful few chapters in the New Testament. And Paul is writing to the Philippians to address two major things. The first is some concerns about false teaching that has arisen, and the other is to teach on uh, doctrinal issues about the Christian life. And we're just zooming in on two verses which focus in on one element of the Christian life. That's the word sanctification, the process by which we are made more like Christ in our daily lives. And I think to help understand where this fits into the context of God's overall plan for salvation, let's just take a quick run through the order in which God saves a person. So the Bible teaches that the order of our salvation is election, regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. So in Ephesians 1.5, we have election. Before the foundation of the earth, God chose us, predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters. And then regeneration is prophesied to us in Ezekiel 36.26, where he says, I will take out your heart of stone, and I will put in a heart of flesh, a new heart. Then Romans 5.1 tells us about justification. This is where we are made righteous before God by, by faith. So by exercising faith in what Jesus has done, God de declares that we are righteous before him because he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of his own son. And then after this, our text for today, sanctification, how God works that out in our lives through our working out of what he has done. And then finally, glorification. 1 John 3 verse 2. This is when we see him, we will be like him. This is the, the completion of God's salvific work, his saving work in our lives. That when Jesus Christ returns, we will be freed not just from the penalty and the power of sin, but from the presence of sin forever. What a great work of salvation this is that has been promised to us. So the question we are asking is, how does the gospel conquer sin in our lives today? so that we can live in step with the truth of the gospel, as Galatians 2.14 puts it. The answer is that what Jesus did in his life doesn't, and in his death doesn't only cancel the, the penalty and the debt of our sins, but it also is, uh, it unleashes the power for, for sanctification in our lives. His death and resurrection unleashes the power for sanctification in our lives. And so we're going to look at today how that power breaks the hold, breaks the dominion of sin in our lives. 
We all need this gospel power to transform our lives. I need this gospel power. Think of today as giving you somewhat of a window into how the gospel has been the power to fight sin in my own life. See, I struggle with a as many, many of us do in some way, but particularly I struggle with a major besetting sin of pride. And uh, this, this results in, it shows up in several different ways. For example, uh, I like things to go my way, uh, which results in anger and frustration when they don't. I have a desire to be respected and, uh, and, and, and admired in some way, which results in like a performance mindset trying to earn favor, and it results in self-pity and sullenness if I don't get it. I want to be viewed as someone who doesn't make mistakes, and so I'm quick to blame when things go wrong. And uh, I also want to control the future, and that results in anxiety and frustration uh, when the future doesn't look the way that I want it to, which, by the way, is never the case. So these desires, these sinful desires, are remnants of a fallen nature. And they're an indicator of the heart apart from Jesus Christ. You see, I need Jesus. I need the gospel power to overcome sin's dominion in my life. And... 1 John 2, 16, 17 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, and by God's grace, He has taken me far in this road of removing the power of sin in my life and experiencing daily victory, and yet there are failures. I have need, continuing need, for the saving work of Jesus Christ in my life. And there is a hymn called, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And in this hymn, we find these wonderful words, a hope for my life. He breaks the power of canceled sin. See, as John Piper notes, the cross cancels sins for all who believe in Jesus. Then on the basis of that cancellation of our sins, the power of our actual sinning is broken. It's not the other way around. It would be terrible news. It would be no gospel at all if we had to sing, he cancels the guilt of the sins we have conquered. That's a false gospel. See, Jesus received the penalty for our sins on the cross, and when he rose from the dead, he secured victory over death for all believers. And in this victory is unleashed the power to conquer the dominion of sin. And because he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. And so we now become empowered to fight sin in our lives. It is no longer a futile exercise. This is the link the Bible makes. Because, because of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection... And his ascension, we are able to wage war successfully in our lives. One of the clearest scriptures on this is Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, 
in Jesus Christ. Bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. What amazing, amazing promise. See, Jesus did not come to set the example of how to live life that we should live. See, he came to live the life that we could not live. No one had lived a perfect life. And as a result of that, we can now be reconciled with God. He completely fulfilled the law on our behalf. And uh, from this, of course, we grow in his likeness being zealous for good works. But the question on the wristband is not so much what would Jesus do as it is what has Jesus done. And this is the power of the Christian life, that Christ has accomplished all righteousness on our behalf so that we may truly work out good deeds. Think of it this way. Christ's life And Christ's death is the power for the Christian life. This is why Paul says to us in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And the word is um, in Greek for uh, who believes is pistuanti. It's a present tense action, not those who believed, those who believe, those who are believing. It is speaking of the gospel being the power of God in our lives for godliness. It's, of course, true that the gospel is the power of God to justification when we come into saving faith for Jesus Christ. But he is saying that it is the power for those who are believing. It is the sanctifying, washing power of God. But why is it that we must be sanctified? If God has removed the penalty for our sin in Jesus Christ, should we not just continue in the sin that we live? By no means. Because God is holy. And this is a difficult topic, God's holiness. Something that grates against human nature. It's why people avoid God. Because they love their sin. And and against the perfection and the majesty and the glories of God and his holiness, their sin is just highlighted in the middle of the day. It confronts us with searing clarity in our sin. And such were we. And yet we remain in a broken body, a a body with its passions and lusts that fight against the spirit. 1 John 1.8 says, if we, have, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Wow. <laughs> That's hectic. Um, and so we need to be transformed in how we live our lives, which is the very charge of Colossians 1.10, that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is why verse 12 of our text today begins, Beloved, 
As you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God has given us the command to work this out in our lives of what he has worked into us. And that we should, as 1 Peter 13 to 14 says, not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now it's clear to us as we read the New Testament that um, we, once we have been born again, we must now live lives that are in keeping with the truth of the gospel. That we must live lives that are in step with the truth of the gospel. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-8 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now listen, if any of you want to know what the will of God is, you're about to find out. <laughs> I will keep pausing. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lusts like the Gentiles who do not know God. No, that no one transgress and wrong his, his brother in these matters. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and we solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but to holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so why should we work out the salvation with fear and trembling? Because sin is serious. It is a grand delusion to think that because you prayed some prayer one day, that you can continue in a life of unrepentant sin and escape God's judgment. As John Calvin said, repentance is not merely the beginning of the Christian life. Repentance is the Christian life. See, there are many who have never truly come out of this world. They never bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is no outward change in the way in which they live their lives. They are false converts, and the acts of God's judgment is already at their roots. Make sure that this is not you. The Holy Spirit says to us through Paul, examine yourselves and see that you are in the faith. If we see our sin as a trivial thing, then we will never be able to kill it. We can make no progress until we realize the eternal danger of sin. Because if we have a small view of sin, we will have a small view of God's grace. And then we truly are in peril. But we can diagnose whether we are truly repentant. Because true repentance is a desire to actually live differently. And it flows from a godly sorrow. There are worldly sorrows, and there is godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is a counterfeit. It's a fake. It is a sorrow because of the consequences of sin. It's sorrow because you were caught. It's sorrow because you were fired. It's sorrow because you're in prison. 
It's sorrow because you have been you have been somehow negatively affected. On the other hand, godly sorrow is a sorrow because of the sinfulness of sin, not its effects. Godly sorrow is a sorrow at having offended a holy God. This warning comes to us in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow produces death. Godly sorrow leads to life because it causes us to lean on Jesus Christ, the one in whom there is life. Worldly sorrow leads to ruin and death because it has no, no desire whatsoever for holiness and trust in Jesus Christ. It wishes only to escape the consequences of sin. And it will be right back the next day in its sin if it escapes the consequences. That's close. Let's get back to it. But this reason for our fear and trembling is not a threat to us. In fact, it is to us a great gift. And the gift is that the very God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, is in you working to do what he has promised. The very God who formed you from the dust dwells in you. The very same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. He is in you conforming you to the likeness of of his son. He is so close to you that your actions in killing sin are his actions. Galatians 2:20 puts it in a way that takes my breath away and gives joy to my soul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How humbling is that? How comforting is that? How miraculous is that? And this phrase, work out your salvation, is the Greek word katagazete, which means to bring about or produce. It alludes to a continuous, strained, relentless effort. This language is dangerous. But it's biblical. It's dangerous because we may be fooled into thinking that our work actually produces holiness that justifies us before God. And uh, we begin trying to earn righteousness by our deeds. How, that is the default setting. We try to earn people's favor from our children to our spouse to our employers to the people we meet, just random people in the public who somehow we care about what they think, which we just try to earn. That's our default. We're default legalists. So we need to be careful that when we think about our sanctification that we aren't being legalists. See, this is not the gospel. That's a false gospel. The Bible uses this language to express to us only the seriousness and the care and the constantness with which we must go about putting sin to death. Paul expresses this in Romans 7.18 where he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. 
but not the ability to carry it out. Surely we all know that this is true. We have the desire to, uh, to do the, the right thing, but we find ourselves unable to carry it out. And that's why the Beatitudes are so comforting. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they come with the empty hand of faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this working out is no easy task. Jesus said in Matthew 5.29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, this is not advice to mutilate yourself, but it is to demonstrate the real and eternal implications and seriousness of sin. And, and to highlight to us how seriously we should be waging war against sin. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. An active war with the flesh and being alive to God in Jesus Christ. But I think uh, I've, I've read a, a book by John Owen one of the Puritans, which I think is the best book on sanctification. I think you can get it for free as a PDF online. If not, it's like $1 or something. I would, I would get it. It's heavy reading, but uh, life-producing. It's called The Mortification of Sin, meaning the putting to death of sin. And in that book, he asks, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. See, a great way that we can kill, tempt, uh, kill sin is to squash temptation. And there, be, there may be no other power greater than prayer for this task. As John Owen also wrote, if we do not abide in prayer, we will also abide in temptation. Let this be one aspect of our daily intercession. God, preserve my soul and keep my heart and all its ways so that I will not be entangled. When this is true in our lives, a passing temptation will not be able to finally overcome us. We will remain free while others yet remain in bondage. But again, how is this difficult work possible? Have we not all tried and failed? Have we all not tried to be obedient to our consciences? I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And yet we violated it. This is what happens when we try and earn God's favor and create a righteousness of our own. And this is what happens in all other religions, even atheism. It's about personal performance. But only the gospel of Jesus Christ is about performance of another applied to you as a gift. It is a strange thing, but for many people, they recognize that they have been justified, saved by grace as a gift, but then they just switch back to trying to keep the law in their everyday lives. They try to be righteous in their obedience to the law. This is madness. Galatians 3.3 3 says to us, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
In Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So what do we do? Galatians 5.1 begins with this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do not again put yourselves under the law. And I think, even though it's, it's quite a long reading, but Romans 8, 1 to 11 explains this the most clearly. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. We could stop there and go home. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, listen carefully, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. And Romans 8.13, two verses later, goes on to teach, By the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. I put sin to death by the spirit. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live, Christ lives in me. And 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. I worked but it was the grace of God working in me. In each of these scriptures, we are to work, we are to serve, we are to put to death. But in each of these scriptures, our will is empowered by the will of God. Our work is the work of God. Our putting to death of sin is the Spirit's putting to death of sin. And more than this, our sanctification doesn't just mean putting to death the body of sin but it also means God quickening us to good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even the good works that we should walk in have been prepared for us by God. 
He loves us too much to leave us in our sin without a transformed heart. His grace is too amazing to just cancel the penalty of sin and not cancel the power of canceled sin in your life. So he not only works in us to do away with this body of sin, but also to bring out these fruits that uh, prove a transformed heart. We are not only dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And I love how J- um, Jaquel Crow phrases it. Jesus makes people 100% new. He takes the spiritually dead and makes us thrillingly, beautifully, and abundantly alive. And do you know what the best part of it all is? If you're a believer, this work of God in your life is promised. And more than that, it's guaranteed. See, Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because of this, we can go about the work of putting sin to death and the doing of good works, knowing that God is faithful to his promises and he will work in us to do all of this according to his good pleasure. So let's conclude. The world celebrates sin, but Christians kill sin. And they do so by the power of the Spirit. It is a war waged and a power secured in the work of Jesus Christ, in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We have been commanded to grow in holiness, and God has promised that he will work in us to bring it about. Therefore, God has said to us, be holy because I am holy. And we have great helps in many graces that have been brought to us in the church, the body of believers. We have the ministry of God's word by which we are washed and we are sanctified. That's why he said, sanctify them by, uh, with your truth. Your word is truth. And we have worship where... Corporately, we lift up the name of Jesus so that as a community and as individuals, we are looking upon Christ and so shall be saved. We have uh, the, the table where we cut, before which we examine ourselves and we bring our sin before God. We confess our sins, we ask for forgiveness, and then we partake in the reminder of his promise to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have uh, fellowship where we may confess our sins to one another. It says in in James 1, confess your sins to one another that you may be forgiven. Now, this is not in the wickedness of presuming that a man could forgive sins on behalf of God. That's pure evil. But it is the basis that sin no longer crouches hidden in the corner. It is brought out into the light. We take away the power of sin in our lives when we confess sin to one another and ask God for forgiveness. And these are all God's graces to us in the church. You see, we have the very presence of God because he has promised to be here amongst his gathered people where he convicts us by his Holy Spirit of sin and of righteousness. You see, God has not left us alone in the Christian life. He lives in us and he works in us and he gathers us together in a community. And therefore, we can experience the joy of holiness as God works out 
our sanctification. Of course, it would be far better if there was no war. And the wonderful hope for Christians is that one day there will be no war. We will be free not only from the penalty and the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin in our lives. No struggles, no temptations. Holiness in the likeness of Christ, in the presence of God. And we, until that day, we wage war. But we do it in the power of the Spirit, knowing that God is working in us. And that is why we do so, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God who works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So if you're not a Christian, I commend Jesus Christ to you today. If the things we have spoken about are attractive to you, put your faith in Jesus Christ and you will find him to be a perfect savior. He will cleanse you of your sin and give you life and joy and peace with him forever. And if you are a Christian, I say to you with Paul, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And as we know from 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for your amazing grace that in the gospel you not only save us from the penalty of our sin, but you also work in us to bring about the joy of holiness. I pray that you would continue to work in each of our hearts and make us more like Jesus. And I pray that you would make this good news of the gospel attractive to the hearts of those who do not yet know you. In Christ's name alone, we ask these things. Amen. As a parting benediction, I read to you 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you all.